think all of us who are here this morning have a good idea in mind as to what you like in a sermon, what your preferences are when you hear a sermon preached. Maybe high up on the list of things that you prioritize about the sermon is how long it is. How long is the preacher going to preach? You know, uh, 25, 30 minutes, okay. If it goes much longer than that, I'm not sure I like that too well. And so we have an idea of what we like. But it might go to other things too. For instance, when, when you hear a sermon, you might really like to hear some illustrations uh, made to highlight the points. You know, and maybe when it comes to illustration, personal stories are best. And you like when the preacher brings in some personal recollections, some illustrations from his own life. Possibly a few jokes might be good in, uh, in the sermon, or at least a little bit of lightheartedness, a few moments of humor in the sermon. Might be, not too much, though, because we don't want the preacher to act like a stand-up comic, you know, so that, that's got to be taken carefully if you're going to add a little humor. We like a little bit of that, but not too much. And then, of course, Scripture references. We want the preacher to refer to Scripture. We want a lot of Scripture references in the sermon. Now, that's, that is not the typical norm. Certainly not in the denominational world. Very little reference is made to the Word of God. I'm sad to say that even amongst our own brethren these days, we don't get as much emphasis on Scripture as we should. We here demand a lot of that, and that's a good thing. And so there are a lot of factors that we have in mind when it comes to a sermon that we hear preached. We have a lot of things in mind as to what makes a good sermon. And using these kinds of criteria, uh, we might rate the sermons that we hear. On a scale of 1 to 10, where does this sermon rate on a scale of 1 to 10? i got to tell you, honestly, there's not a lot of 10s out there when we hear sermons, including my own. There are not a lot of 10s. But, you know, we have an idea of what we want and what we like in sermons. And so with that idea in mind, we have a more fundamental question to ask about the sermons that are preached and the sermons that we hear. We have a more basic question to ask today. The question is basically, why do we even need a sermon? What's the purpose? What's the value of even having a sermon? We want to talk about that for a few minutes in our study this morning. We stop here just briefly to greet everyone. Again, you've already been greeted by lots of us, and we'll, we'll extend a greeting one more time. We're glad that you are here. You particularly, we're glad specifically that you are here because you, you assist in what we're doing here today as we worship God and praise Him. And you also serve as an encouragement to the rest of us. And so we thank you specifically for being present today and joining in this time of worship. Thanks for coming. And if we can be of special assistance to you in any way, please let us know what that might be. So what's the purpose and value of the sermon? Well, let me suggest to you that the sermon can and should try to accomplish a number of purposes. First of all, maybe most basically, the sermon provides instruction in righteousness. I know that some of you fellows have done as I have done. Maybe you have a, a, a job, a repair job that you need to do on your car. 
Uh, and maybe it's not just one of those typical easy things to do, like changing the oil, for instance. We know how to change the oil, of course. But maybe it's a little more technical, a little more difficult job that you have to do when you're working on your car and you've never done it before. One of the great resources available to us these days, and it's always quite amazing to me, is you can go online. And specifically, you can go to YouTube and you can look up a video of somebody doing the exact job that you need to do on your car. It always amazes me that somebody did, somebody did, on the same year and model car that I have, he did the exact job that I have to consider doing. But what's really interesting, he, he, videoed, he videoed himself while he was doing it. I can't imagine. I never think about videoing myself when I'm working on a car. But this guy videoed himself and gives step-by-step explanations as to how to do this technical repair job on the car. In, in watching that, then, in watching that video, we, we get the needed instruction. That's really a valuable thing. It's really helpful. Well, the sermon is designed to give valuable instruction as well. But in this case, it's in the most important area of all. It has to do with spiritual instruction in the ways of God. The sermon is intended to provide instruction in righteousness. It's about living uh, good and godly lives. It's about gaining uh, salvation. It's about preparing for judgment and eternity. The sermon gives instruction in righteousness. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning verse 16, a very famous passage to us. Remember, it's Paul. It's Paul writing to the young preacher Timothy, and he says to him about the Scripture, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, throughly furnished unto all good works. And so concerning this word that Timothy was to be preaching, Paul specifies the value of it. The Scriptures are very valuable to us, and in the preaching of the of the scriptures, we are providing instruction in righteousness. Notice, he says, for instruction in righteousness. You can learn about a lot of things. You can have knowledge about all kinds of different areas, but nothing that you will ever learn is as important as the instruction in righteousness that's provided by the Word of God. And so the scripture has that purpose to provide that sort of instruction. Furthermore, the scripture is intended, preaching the scriptures are intended to bring remembrance. The sermon ought to remind us of certain things. Have you ever heard someone complain? Ah, we've heard that before. We've heard all that stuff before. Concerning that criticism of preaching, the, uh, the response to that would have to be, I hope you have heard it before, because there's nothing new here, right? There's, there's no new thing in the Word of God. Uh, all of the Bible is at least 2,000 years old, uh, and so we're, we're preaching an old message. It's often been said, if it's, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. All this has been around for a long time. And so when we, when we preach sermons, we're not preaching new stuff. If we are, we're doing something wrong. We're teaching old stuff over and over again. We may be trying to find new ways to sort of 
highlight it or explain it, but we're not teaching new truth. If we are, we're wrong. But since this information is so vitally important, we need to be reminded over and over again. And so even if you've heard this before, you need to hear it again. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 12, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Notice, to put you always in remembrance. Putting you in remembrance. Peter reemphasizes that over and over again. I'm telling you this. I want to remind you of this, he said. Notice, and he even mentions, though you know this. He's not, he, he, he even, I think Peter understood that some people might say, oh, yeah, we know that. We've heard that before. And he said, I know you know it. But I want to remind you of this again and again and again. And that's the nature of preaching sermons. We're not revealing new truth. There is no new truth to be revealed. We're reminding of things that have been taught for centuries. We need to keep being reminded. And so part of the purpose and intentions of sermons is to go back over some of the same things again and again and again. That's not a bad thing. Uh, That's a good thing. Another purpose of the sermon is to exhort us on to be faithful. Um, We need to be encouraged, exhorted, urged on toward faithfulness. It's not just enough to know the truths of the Scripture. You know, the the first couple of points, to be instructed in righteousness, to be reminded about the principles of righteousness... That, that, you could take that to mean just the basic raw knowledge of the Scriptures. And the, and the sermons are intended for the purpose of conveying that basic knowledge of the, of, of the uh, Word of God. But it's not enough just to be informed. It's not enough to just be knowledgeable of these things. Because we are not preparing for a Bible trivia quiz. That's not what this is about. We're not trying to say, well, you got to know this. Now, remember this, remember this, remember this. You need to know this and you need to be right. It's not like we're preparing for a trivia quiz. We're preparing for judgment and eternity. And we need to be urged on. And the sermons are intended to do that. Sermons should urge us on to make faithful application of the things taught. To make faithful application in our daily lives. In Acts chapter 11. It speaks about Barnabas. Uh, the, the people in Jerusalem had heard that the gospel had come to Antioch in Syria and that many were being converted there. Acts 11 verse 22 beginning, The report of many conversions came to the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. Notice, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Barnabas was a great man a very effective worker in the kingdom. And his strength was encouraging others. And here he was specifically sent to Antioch for the purpose of exhorting them to remain faithful. We need that kind of exhortation too. And the, the preaching of sermons is one of the ways that we get that. I'm not suggesting it's the only way, but it's one of the ways that we are urged on to remain faithful to the Lord. It's part of the design and purpose of sermons. So what's the purpose? What's the value? Well, to teach us, to remind us, to urge us on to make faithful application of the principles of God's Word. 
it should also serve to reprove and rebuke the unruly. We'd like to think that whenever we have an opportunity to to preach a, a sermon, that we're preaching to faithful brethren who are diligently striving uh, to take these truths, make application in their lives, live for God, obey His will. And so we'd like to think that we're exclusively preaching to people who are already fully committed and we're just pushing them on to greater heights. And in, in many instances that is the case. But we actually know that there are others also who are struggling spiritually who are not doing well in their lives of service for God. And so when sermons are preached, we we understand that there are some who are not really where they need to be spiritually. Satan maybe has gotten a grip on them, and they're in a bad shape spiritually, and they need to hear the messages of reproof and rebuke. In the text that Eric read for us earlier from 2 Peter chapter 4, verse 2, again, Paul to Timothy, speaking of the work that he would need to do, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. You've seen this pointed out before. Obviously, this is all about preaching the word, right? And preaching the word, the sermon. What's it going to include? Reproof, rebuke, and exhortation. Now, what's been pointed out from that, there's three things mentioned there that the sermons were supposed to do. Timothy, when you preach the word, do this. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Two of those things, reprove and rebuke, could be taken as negatives. In other words, the reproof, rebuke is even a stronger kind of word. But both of those suggest telling people to correct things, do better, get it right. Exhort is a positive term suggesting the idea of encouragement. Now, some have tried, I think it's a a faulty process, some have tried to say, based upon this, that two-thirds of our preaching ought to be negative and one-third of our preaching ought to be positive. I don't think that was, I don't think that that expression was intended to be broken down percentage-wise. But what this does tell us is That in the preaching of the Word of God, in the sermons that are proclaimed, there's an obvious, necessary uh, part of it that involves negative preaching. You know, sometimes these days we hear people really complaining about anything in a sermon that is perceived to be negative. Now, they they want only positive things, only positive preaching. I want to suggest to you that When that happens, we are not fulfilling the assignment of of preacher. When we preach sermons, we have to deal with negatives. And if we don't, we're not preaching the whole counsel of God. Again, I'm not saying that this expression denotes that you should do two-thirds negative and only one-third positive. I don't think it breaks out that way. But what it clearly does say is that we have to deal with negative things. And even if people don't necessarily appreciate that, that's part of the assignment. Preaching has to include that. Notice what will happen if people don't get that. They will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. If people don't get the whole counsel of God, 
If they don't hear necessary emphasis on some negative things, then it's going to have a bad outcome ultimately. And so the sermon is intended not only to exhort the faithful, but also to encourage and to, to rebuke and, and, and reprove the unruly. The sermon is intended to persuade men. The preaching of God's Word is intended to persuade men. Here's why the preacher needs to do his work as effectively as he possibly can. Because when someone stands in the pulpit to preach a sermon, he's not just filling a necessary block of time during the worship service. Oh, well, the reason we have a, ser- a sermon is because we got this much time and we need to fill the time. And so we put a guy up there in the pulpit and he's just, he's just basically filling the time. No, actually, the sermon and the one preaching the sermon should be attempting to persuade men to live right for God. That's what the preaching is supposed to do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, the Apostle Paul, speaking of his own work, said, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul said, We know. What's going to happen to men who are not prepared to meet God in judgment? We know the terror of the Lord. And knowing that this is, is the coming destiny of those who are not prepared to meet God, we persuade men. No, we're just not filling time here. We're urgently trying to convince men to do differently. Uh, and so, again, it speaks to the importance of preachers doing the best they can. If the sermon consistently puts the audience to sleep, if it bores everyone to the point of distraction, then they won't be persuaded to do what is right. We're trying to persuade them. And so you're going to have to have a compelling message that really touches the hearts of those who hear. The preaching of the gospel is intended to persuade men. That's what the sermon's for. That's why this time is valuable If we can persuade men. The sermon should also attempt to comfort the feeble. It is simply a true observation when we say life is hard. Life is hard. We all go through hard parts in our lives and it's easy to get down and it's easy to get discouraged. And when we're at a spiritual low point in our lives... A sermon can be a source of help and comfort. Notice what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. We exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. I think it's kind of interesting here. He uses the word feeble-minded, and and we're supposed to comfort the feeble-minded. I I suspected if you heard the word, uh, someone was described as being feeble-minded, Today, our, our current usage of that terminology would probably suggest someone who wasn't too bright, who didn't have a lot of mental capacity, maybe mentally deficient, feeble-minded. But that's not the way the word is used here. Comfort the feeble-minded. This suggests to someone who has grown tired and weary, and they're, they're feeble from the exhausting business of trying to live right in the midst of this very wicked world that we're a part of. And they've grown weary. They're feeble. They're tired. And so the sermon uh, is a, a part of 
what can serve as comfort to those who are thus weary and feeble from the hard work of trying to do the right thing. It's hard. Life is hard. For, for those who are trying to live the Christian life, I think life can be particularly hard as people oppose us. And so when you, when you get feeling like you're just worn down, the sermon can offer comfort in that kind of a circumstance. Finally, let me suggest to you that the sermon is intended to warn men. It's, the sermon is a, is a means of providing an absolutely essential warning. I'm always intrigued when you are watching TV or listening on the radio or something and, and there's an ad for some sort of medication, some, some different medication for some kind of a physical ailment is evident. But before the ad is over, I guess the law requires them to stipulate all the potential bad side effects that could follow. And, you know, they list all these bad things that could happen to you if you take this medication. And I'm wondering, why would anybody want to take that? Because all of the things they suggest could happen sound really bad. You know, even including death, you could die. If I take that, I think, wow, you know, I'm not sure I want any of that. But the warnings are deemed necessary. Whoever is in control of such things have deemed that voicing those warnings is a needed and necessary thing. Well, we need warnings about really critical things too, specifically not about physical things. We need warned about spiritual things. We need to be warned about judgment. We need to be warned about missing. We talked about this in our Bible class here in the auditorium this morning. We need to be warned about the potential of missing God's promise of heaven. We need to be warned. In Acts chapter 20, verse 31, Paul talks about his time while he was in the city of Ephesus. And he said, therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and days with tears. Paul said, I was constantly in that mode of warning. That's what sermons are intended to do, to warn. And so here's, here's a list of things, and potentially you could expand this list. But I want to suggest to you that everything we've mentioned this morning should highlight to us the purpose and value of the sermon. What we're doing right now, why, why do we do this? And why is emphasis put on this? And why do we like to hear good preachers and we're not so thrilled about hearing bad preachers? Why is so much emphasis placed upon the sermons that we hear? Well, because we need to be taught, we need to be reminded, we need to be urged on to faithfulness. If we're not doing well, we need to be rebuked. If we haven't really been convinced to obey God, we need to be persuaded. When we get down, we need to be comforted. All of us need to be warned. And so with all of that in place, we suggest again that what we're doing here is really, really important. And so over the course of time, we're going to hear good and bad sermons. Uh, I think all of us would agree that over the course of time, we hear sermons probably all across that spectrum of, well, if you're going to rate sermons from 1 to 10, you're going to, you're going to hear sermons all across that spectrum from 1 to 10. I would argue that we probably don't hear a lot of 10s. Hopefully we don't hear very many 1s either. Uh, but we're going to hear all kinds of sermons. But we should never dismiss or fail to appreciate 
what the sermon intention is, what it's all about. Why are we doing this? What's the purpose and value of the sermons as they are being preached? Thanks for your, thanks for your good attention to this sermon and hope that it's helpful to us all. One of the things that we mentioned is we, we're trying to persuade men. And that persuasion is in a specific thing. The, pers- the specific persuasion is do the will of God, live for God. And so we end our sermon this morning with that persuasion. Have you decided to obey God? Have you decided to make that initial obedience to God? To, uh, upon hearing His truth and believing it, will you repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins? We would persuade you that this is what you need to do. If you're a Christian already but you've fallen back, then you may need that reproof and rebuke that is an intended part of the preaching of the gospel. And if you haven't been doing well, then we urge you to come back to Him. Get started anew. Repent. Pray God for forgiveness. If we can pray with you and for you, we want to do that. Let us know how we can help while we stand and sing.